The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, deal with your eBay fire sale later. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 412, recorded live at Codematch 2009 on Wednesday, January 9th. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Teller, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazines.com. And now, the man who recently lost 200 pounds... Well, 70 pounds if you don't count his ex-wife. Carl Franklin! 39 speakers in my living room. Hey, Code Mash! Welcome to .NET Rock! Oh my God! Wow! That was amazing. These uh, people are nuts, and there's thousands of them. It's a throng. There must be 50,000 people in this audience. This is the biggest conference center I've ever seen. We're at the Kalahari Conference Center in Sandusky, Ohio, for Code Mash 2009. Uh, and here with a panel of experts, and we're talking about rich web internet applications. Rich web and internet? I think it's just rich internet applications. Just rich Although there's been some debate as to what, what RIA actually stands for. But let's get into that after we introduce our panel. All right, well, let's introduce them, starting with Leon Gersing. Leon, hi. Hi. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> no, that's okay. One more round of applause for Leon Gersing. You're goddamn right. <laughs> oh, he has some fans. They're all, they all came out tonight. Yep. Right. So, uh, I'm, a, I'm a developer, a senior developer with Intelligent Systems on the core community server product team. All right. Awesome. Intelligent guy. Our next panelist is James Ward. Hi, James. Hello. Welcome. Who are you? What are you James Ward. <laughs> Thank you. Crowd goes wild. James, tell us about yourself. I'm a technical evangelist for Flex at Adobe, focusing on enterprise software, open source software. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And of course, no panel at Code no panel at Code Mash will be uh, complete without Josh Holmes. <laughs> hey, Josh. Hey, Carl. How are you? Good. Good. So I'm uh, Josh Holmes, and I'm a rich internet application architect evangelist, which is a very, very long mouthful. Usually I just say RIA architect at Microsoft. And uh, so my job is covering basically the center of 30 in the United States and uh, helping you guys be successful with the Microsoft platform. Awesome. And uh, Jesse Liberty will probably be here sometime during the panel. I guess, uh, uh, have you heard the roads are pretty bad? Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. I've heard rumor of that. Yeah. Well, it, we are in Ohio in January. Yeah. Yeah, to ask me. Why are we in explain Ohio? Explain to me how I ended up in Ohio in January. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I almost had a heart attack when we landed. We did, I didn't see the runway until about 20 feet off the ground. <laughs> <clears throat> I had never landed a plane like that. Well, landed in a plane like this. So Jesse will be showing up, hopefully, uh, sometime. Jesse is, uh, I think he's an independent software developer. No, no, he's uh, on board with Microsoft now. He's Silverlight Geek. Yeah. Silverlight Geek? He's a, his title is Silverlight Geek. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Well, we can't wait till... Before we go tearing into this, you want to explain the bottle of booze sitting on the table? Yes. Uh, uh, Bill, why don't you come up here? Because Bill Wagner, ladies and gentlemen... Bill Wagner! Anybody, anybody who listens to DNR TV or reads blogs, uh, .NET Rocks or DNR TV knows Bill. Hi, Bill. Hey, Carl. How you doing? Tell us about this bottle of Maker's Mark here. Okay, so having been with you at a few conferences, I know you like Maker's Mark. And my uncle, when he retired, you know, he gets bored. And he moved to Springfield, Kentucky, which is in our district. If you've never been there, it's really nowhere. <laughs> so he went to Loretto and, and toured Maker's Mark and met Bill Samuels. And they started talking. He's the guy, apparently. The guy. He's the guy who is behind this. And he started working there as a VIP tour person. So he says, well, what, what does that entail, Dave says. And Bill says, well... You give tours of the distillery, you explain how the bourbon is made, you teach people how to dip the wax if they want a souvenir bottle. And I noticed they, they do it, every one of them is by hand. Every one is by hand. Um, and if you do tour the distillery, you can do it yourself. And then you have to taste the bourbon. And That's a shame. And it has goes, to. It's and, his job. Taste and, the bourbon. And I get paid for this? Sign me up. He's retired, he's doing this. So he keeps doing this, and then uh, before Code Mash, I talked to him about getting the souvenir bottles for you and Car or you and Richard, since you both like it. And uh, even though it was the Christmas season, Dave was able to get them for me. And there you are. So this is a souvenir bottle personalized. Carl Franklin, thanks to .NET Rocks from the 2009 Code Mash tribe. Thank you, man. Thank you. You gonna open that? So uh, hold my microphone. What? Okay. <laughs> you, have to, you have to share. Going to do what's important here. Yeah. Open yeah. the bottle, have a drink of bourbon. Don't forget the panel. We're, we're, right. we're down here. Yeah. We're over here. <laughs> They've all got glasses, too. This ain't for show, son. <laughs> here, this is going to be a lot more entertaining. Why don't you, uh, the pour, I'll, I'll do the pouring, dude. Pour so. one for yourself and pass that down. Anybody else uh, who likes bourbon can take a hit off of this. It's a community bottle. It's a healthy pour. Mm. Oh, I'm not shy. I, well. <laughs> I like the way you pour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Richard pours a mean one. Look, he's already poured half, more than half of what I got. I got one of these, too, you know. Yeah. Chin, chin, gentlemen. Cheers. All right. All right. Code to Mash. Code Mash 2009. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, nice. that is very, very nice. Very okay, nice. now, back to Thank business. Good. Okay, Rhea. Is it rich internet applications? Or what's the other version I've heard? The other version is rich interactive applications. As opposed to non-interactive applications. <laughs> yes. Really yeah. interesting applications. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really inane acronym is what I use. Really inane acronym. <laughs> okay. I like that. Lots of variations. Yes. I, so can we, can we, do we try to get internet out of the name? Is there a reason for that? Well, the, the reason for getting internet out of the name is that there's, a, there's really started to become a blurred line between the, the interactive applications that are on the internet and desktop applications. Because it's really bringing that desktop development paradigm to the web so that it's, it's more than just HTML, text, and pictures. It's now uh, very interactive where you can like click things, drag things across the, you know, the, the uh, screen, you can you know, interact with the application on a whole new level rather than just typing and clicking with the mouse. Okay? So that's, that's where the, uh, uh, the lines have started blurring and a lot of people have started looking at it and going, hmm, now where's the line between this exact same application in a browser versus on the desktop? Right. So uh, things like Adobe Air, for example, is actually just taking and repackaging the Flash applications you put on the internet, they're repackaging those same applications so you can run them offline on your desktop. And, and that's really blurring those lines fairly dramatically. And that's sort of, a, is that sort of an Adobe Air? Is this sort of analogous to the, off, to the standalone Flash player kind of thing? 
Uh, similar. It's more of a whole like application runtime rather than just a um, uh, just an interpreter okay. or a single executable. Yeah. So you guys are creeping towards a, a sort of a virtual machine. In some ways, yeah. In some ways, yeah. I think I think really what it's about is it, as Josh was mentioning earlier, rich internet applications are not just about in the in the browser. And I think that's where there's a lot of confusion around the term rich internet applications is that do they just have to be inside the browser? And, and I think that's where Josh and I totally agree is that no, rich internet applications are just software. And if it's on the desktop, in the browser, inside a PDF, on a mobile device, on a TV, it can still be a rich internet application. Because yeah, I could take a perfectly ordinary Win app, a Win, a Win Forms app and have it communicate to web services and so forth. And technically, it's an internet application. Right. Then the, right. no browser was harmed in the utilization of it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, in the recent years, uh, the internet applications have gotten so good, it sort of begs the question, what can't you do with, uh, with an internet application that you can do in a Windows application? And what, uh, are, is there any benefit um, from, from going to a standalone application? I mean, you certainly have the deployment and the updating structure that has to be there that's automatically there in the browser. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, we've talked about this for years, but it's always good to come back to what are those things that people can't do, that you can't do as a developer as in a Windows, in an internet application, a web In the web browser. In a right. web browser. Well, I mean, first let's start with uh, one of the reasons to go to the browser is because of the ease of deployment. Uh, I mean, you know, you open a browser, you're deployed, okay? Um, but there's, there's, there's a lot of new technologies, well, new, uh, I guess they're not new anymore. Click once, for example, and uh, Keith Elder's around here somewhere, um, and Keith can talk your ear off about how Click once has solved the deployment problem for uh, for his organization. And uh, you know, every time somebody opens the application, it automatically updates to the latest version of whatever's you know running. So the deployment issue is not nearly as much of an issue. But th there's still a lot of good reasons to stay in the browser. Um, you know, especially if you're trying to enter, uh, you know, be injected into the rest of the internet site that's already existing, and you know, just be a part of it rather than being an, its own independent application. The reasons to go to a standalone application, actually install on the desktop, is because you can do things on the desktop that you can't do within the security sandbox of the browser. Right so, on the disk. Writing the disk, storing things in the registry. Right. Okay, so I mean, for example, if you want to store a, uh, a password or if you want to store a, um, a, a SQL connection string or something along mm -hmm. those lines, uh, you know, really the best place to do that is in an Ackled registry key. Right. Well, you can't do that from a browser application because you don't have access to the registry and you don't have access to the gigs and gigs and gigs worth of storage that's on the disk locally. You know, so there are definitely reasons to be offline, but, you know, uh, uh, there are also good reasons to be on, on the internet. So again, what are the things that you can't do? And uh, you know, we think of things like touching the registry, touching the disk. And are, are we allowing that now? You know, are we as in who? Uh, uh, you know, the user is the user a lot. Is the software is the browser default set up to allow access to the disk and to the registry and to those things that have been typically. The browser doesn't. No, the, the browser doesn't. But I think that there, the user goes through a, a much longer decision process when they choose to install something and they have to actually have trust in what they're installing because they know that it could potentially do bad things to their system. Right. Um, so, so if you look at the number of applications that people will continue to interact with on the web compared to the number that they'll actually install, it's going to be much less that they actually install. Um, so I think that that's just where we're at. You know, people are always going to have web applications and desktop applications and have them work together as I think an interesting thing that we're starting to see where you can have a desktop application that um, does some of the things that the web application does uh, and they can even yeah. interact together and communicate back and forth. There's certainly um, desktop applications that update components automatically of themselves rather than the entire, you know, install a new version of this software. The more sophisticated ones do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a nice architecture as well. But as soon uh, as we throw Silverlight and Flash in the mix, aren't we now requiring an installation of all our users anyway? Like, shouldn't we just make that a desktop app? It's the same hurdle. Well, no, it's, it's, it's a one-time hurdle versus a every single application that they come across. So, I mean, if you, if you want to run a Flash app or a Silverlight app, you have to install the runtime. Once the runtime is installed, all the other applications, you just open the browser and you're there. You're there. 
And, and Leon, I understand you're a big Silverlight fan. No. <laughs> I was just ponying it up for you, Bob. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, softball. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, you install whatever you want. My JavaScript works now. Ah, okay. I think I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it yeah. works now. You can applaud that. I buy you. I get his point. And guys, don't forget, there's a couple of microphones on the floor. So if you want to uh, ask a question of the panel, by all means, just uh, go to the microphone. We'll, uh, we'll point to you and you can go. Well, I, I think Josh said something really interesting and I somewhat disagree with, and maybe it's just semantics, is that um, we're bringing more of that rich desktop uh, to the web. And I think that largely innovation has been driven from the web back to the desktop. And I think that's where a lot of the real, inter uh, like, uh, like where our memes are being established, where our HCI is being established, how people are getting familiar with dealing with distributed information. Acronym police here, HDI. Uh, HCI is Human Computer Interaction. Oh, HCI. HCI. Uh, and uh, meme, repeatable. We know, I think we know what a meme is. <laughs> yeah, we hope. I hope everybody gets meme. If um, you don't, you will soon. Everybody knows. <laughs> we'll talk about it over drinks. Uh, That's a pretty good joke. But I would say that um, what has influenced a lot of desktop apps is what we've done and how we've embraced uh, the internet as a platform. And right now, the most innovative things I see on the web and the ones that are most widely adopted are the ones that are pushing the bounds of JavaScript and plain HTML. Uh, I, it seems to me, if my memory serves correctly, that... Um, at, at a certain point of, and I can't remember what year it was, but there was a certain point where computers and browsers hadn't optimized JavaScript to the point where, you, you know, an, a large application that was JavaScript heavy could take a long time to load. Is that still a problem? I think that you can still bottleneck yourself no matter what the uh, architecture is. Just ask the guys at Facebook. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, they're dying under the weight of their JavaScript these days. Right. There are just so many different moving parts. Yeah, and the Gmail guys would probably say the same thing. Yeah. For a long time at the, the start of Gmail that they were trying to push, you know, 10 pounds into a 5-pound bag. Um, but that forced them to get more creative. That forced them to be more innovative. And that product has survived, as has many other products. I mean, there are a lot of products out there that probably could have been... Like, let's say Twitter. All right, here we go. Everyone drink. I said Twitter. Um, tweet that I said Twitter. Uh, yeah, that could have easily been turned into a traditional messaging system. And you could have downloaded a small little thin app, which we've all done anyway. Yes. Yeah. And just re-architected it this way. And it would have never crashed under its own weight. But instead, they thought, well, the, the web is what's really pushing this conversation. Uh, keeping this uh, with JavaScript, keeping this with our traditional memes that people understand. And that's what drove their, their, their adoption rate. And then they just got smarter and smarter and smarter, retooled the back end, retooled the front end. But so much of Twitter has now moved to a sort of intermediary client. Everybody's running TweetDeck and you know, various PDA incarnations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all of those are third-party uh, clients. Absolutely. All dealing with a standard POX or RSS or whatever standard internet protocol to get data that, that they want to use. So right now, even that, which I, that meme is taking off, microblogging is taking off in a way that you can't even calculate, uh, and that's all done with traditional, uh, traditional methods. I guess the question is what facilitated, how much was the third-party client a facilitator of Twitter's success? It may have been a big one. I think it was a big one certainly when the, when the system was going up and down. Uh, because people could have their tweets offline and go right. get them at a certain bit of time. So uh, Twitter built on Ruby on Rails, is it? It was originally, yes. And it's not anymore? I believe the main uh, front end of it is still Ruby on Rails, but a lot of the back end is Erlang. Can someone support that? I don't know. I don't know. Anyone? Anyone? We'll leave, we'll, we'll leave that live. But it's an interesting, okay. you know, in some ways I think that's a great scenario of the sort of hybrid rich internet application that we don't really care what the client ultimately ran. There's, right. Everybody's got their own implementation of it. And, and also, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that these things don't necessarily have their place, but there's, if there's a revolution coming, I'm certainly missing it. We have a question from the audience. Step right up to the microphone. Tell us uh, your name and your question. Okay. Hi, I'm John Stockton, and I am a RIA developer. Um, so actually, mine isn't so much a question as a kind of a pitch up there for Josh to kind of counter what Leon's saying. Oh, great. And that, um, okay, JavaScript is great for what it does, but where is the exactly. richness in, in the RIA? 
um, whether you're talking internet or just interactive, whatever the definition of I is, the R is rich. Where does JavaScript come into that? Well, define rich. Is rich drag and drop? Is rich, like, what is rich to you? Is rich being able to do media? $10 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> rich is lots of money. So, I mean, define rich. Can your browser still play audio files? Well, yeah, now a lot of browsers can. Can it play media in the same way that Silverlight and Flash can? No. But that's a perfect example where that's where we would want to plug into those things. Does that mean you re-engineer your entire app because you want to use video? That seems ridiculous. Go uh, right ahead, sir. Yeah, uh, no, um, by richness, I'm not meaning, meaning media necessarily. It's just the experience that you get, um, the uh, visual transitions, um, just a nicer interface, just the, the general look and feel of the application that you, that you cannot achieve with Are you CSS. Looking for the you have to give me a concrete example of what you cannot achieve with what you're talking about. I, and I, I buy into what, what you're saying here, Leon, which is, you know, DHTML can do a pretty rich interface in terms of great transitions, visualizations, so forth. But to your, maybe you're hinting at this, but that's hard to do. Like the coding it takes to build a beautiful looking UI in DHTML compared to a beautiful looking UI in Silverlight using Blend and, and .NET. Oh yeah, that's a piece of cake. Yeah. yeah. Easy it's as could very be. easy to learn three new tools to do something. I mean, I, I personally, I, I hear this argument a lot. And I, I haven't yet had anyone validate their argument with, yes, I've been able to rapidly develop applications using nothing but these tools. Like, JavaScript caught up. We can use jQuery, we can use Scriptaculous and Prototype. Come see my session tomorrow, Prototype and Scriptaculous. Uh, <laughs> plug for the win. Drink, I plugged. And, <laughs> yes. Uh, so those things that took forever to do before that we couldn't do are, are great. And designers have gotten extraordinarily well at semantically marking up their sites, being able to uh, use CSS to, um, to um, switch in and out of different uh, styles and themes and really cater to user and give them the user, user experience that they've been dying to have. I think, I think it might be helpful to set some context about what type of applications we're talking about. Because a lot of times, when I talk about richer applications, I'm referring mostly to business applications, okay. where it's a lot of data processing, data visualization, uh, data management, those sorts of things. Whereas, I think uh, there was a big deal made a while back about how Gucci switched from Flash to JavaScript. And for a site like Gucci, that's mostly content and looking at pictures and adding things to your shopping cart, I think that Gucci JavaScript and HTML is fashion. great at that. And I would not argue that Flash should be should be necessarily used there. So, um, but when we talk about business applications, that's where I think that, that the richness that we're getting from Silverlight and Flex and the, these other technologies really does have a big impact on, on ROI, on IT costs, and those sorts of things. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik. Our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites? RAD controls for WPF and RAD controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, they have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. One of the demos that, uh, that James has done in the past that I really like, um, I need to write the Silverlight implementation of this. Mm -hmm. But um, it's an insurance collection uh, or insurance claims application. Yeah. Okay. okay, and uh, what it is is, you know, if you've ever had an accident, had to report this accident, um, you suppose go you slid you, off the road into a ditch. Yeah, suppose you, you went off into a twenty-five foot ravine with three yeah. of your friends. Or something is well, Jesse no, Liberty here? By the way, you're is he on here? the way to Codemash, and you slide off the road and get uh, no. So as you, as you as you're explaining this all out to the insurance agent, they're typing furiously, and they type out notes, you know, thousands of pages worth of notes uh, to describe exactly what kind of section it was, what cars were involved, how fast they were going, all this other stuff. Or 
and this is the fun one, you can go up to the website yourself and type in all these notes yourself. Yay. <laughs> no, that's not a yay. That, 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 that's a horrible, horrible experience for anybody who's been through it. Hey, Jesse's here. He is here, speaking there of horrible crashes. <laughs> and so, uh, one example of a rich internet application is actually doing this claim, you know, this, this insurance claim report where you can actually decide on what type of an intersection it was or what kind of section of road it was, you know, how many lanes was the road. Then you can pull out from a catalog of cars and say, these were the cars that were in the intersection at the time. Oh, and I started here, and here was my trajectory, and actually show that trajectory and momentum and speed and everything else. Then you pull up a 3D model of the car and actually rotate the car and show where the damage was done. You know, that's really impressive when you show the judge that, because they, they'll give you a, a leaner sentence when you show them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I may need that. So, <laughs> so Jesse's just joined us. Jesse Liberty, ladies and gentlemen. So, attention to the blue shirt. So where exactly did you slide off the road and crash your car? Boston. In Boston. Before <laughs> I took so long. Oh, okay. I did it in Mansfield. No, no, Leon's the one who crashed. You weren't actually driving, though. Well, I was I driving. Out of the you were driving, so it I is your fault. I drove it right into a 25-foot ditch. <laughs> nice. That's what you were aiming for. Well, you know what? I just didn't want to flip it. Okay. <laughs> ah. I, actually, I got here on time, but I made the mistake of asking for a quiet room. This is a big hotel. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm late. <laughs> We're talking about rich internet applications, and of course the, uh, the fight, yeah, yeah. The fight uh, immediately went to uh, JavaScript versus Flash. And versus everything Silver else. Light and everything else. <laughs> we do have another question uh, from an Javis. attendee. Hi, I'm Brandon Joyce. Um, with all these new tools and uh, getting easier to build rich internet applications, um, it seems like less and less will we need, with certain production environments, uh, a hard drive or you know things like that. So have you seen any um, movement towards going to these sort of trimmed down systems where all we really need is like an operating system that is a browser and can run JavaScript? Um, have you seen any of that firsthand or seen any movement towards that? I think one, one great example of that is kiosks. I think kiosks are, are becoming more prevalent in our lives. You know, we use them every time we check in at the airport or um, buy tickets at a, at a movie theater. And kiosks, I think, are, are a great scenario in a lot of cases of a good application, a good place for rich internet applications. Because you want the nice UI, you want the good experience so you can quickly move through your transaction. Um, and with, with the rich internet application technologies that are out there today, building those kiosk type applications are, is pretty easy. So, um, so I think that's one good example of that. Uh, I haven't seen that happen yet in the business application space because they're still looking for the, the heavy CPU consumption, uh, client-side type applications. I think, you mean, other than complex visual rendering, what's heavy CPU computations going on now that aren't on a server? That, uh, see, that's one interesting thing about return applications is that we're, in return applications, we're trying to offload a lot of what we were doing on the server now back to the client. So things like uh, in a data grid where you want to do sorts and filters and those sorts of things, you can do, do those on the client now as opposed to having to do them on the server and having the latency between the server and the client to retransmit the data, uh, putting the load on your server, having to scale out your servers. Uh, in, in some cases, it's a lot easier to scale out the, to scale up your client CPUs rather than to scale out your, uh, your databases. Because you have a lot more clients. That sort of thing. Yeah, I have to say for me, using um, C Sharp over JavaScript, is less about performance and more about more pain. Less pain oh. is about better tools and easier to debug and easier to maintain. And and I'm you know C sharp is in a, is in a uh, managed code environment. So for me, performance isn't the driving force in a lot of applications. It's managed code. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it sort of may depend on what you're comfortable with, what you're used to, what you've gotten, what you've taken into your sort of assumption set about what makes programming easy. Sir? I mean, Leon mentioned this right at the bat. We were talking about so many tools involved in doing, say, Silverlight development, where I almost wonder, I think JavaScript's gone the other way. There's too few tools. They, you know, they, they, yeah. And uh, there, are, there are people that are trying to bring those out. There are... are um, 
several, I can think of several IDEs that have native JavaScript support. Aptana is one good Aptana one. Aptana is a great one. Um, uh, Visual Studio is going to have native support for it. Finally has support version. for JavaScript. Uh, which to me was a no-brainer. I don't know why they didn't do it earlier. Um, maybe because they were too busy obfuscating what the web really was. But <laughs> that, that, Yeah. Sorry, ASP.NET web forms or web forms is a complete fail. Okay, that brought the conversation to a screeching halt. No, 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 I think it's a valid comment. I, I think if you, it depends on what you think you want to do on the web. And, and, and there is a perspective of the web in which you ought to stay with pure web protocols. I mean, that, the, 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 the argument for restful web services is a valid argument. The argument for return to the original concept of the web is an, but one could take that all the way down to nothing but billboard applications. So, you know, it sort of depends on where you want to draw that line. And, and, and arguably the market has spoken that highly interactive, highly uh, data intensive applications are desirable and people seem to like rich internet applications and if you're going to build those then it's very hard to do that with pure HTML over HTTP. So then the question is choose your poison and, and what's going to make it easy for you to do that and what's going to be productive, what's going to be fun, what's going to leverage what you know and the tools you have. So sure. I, mean, I don't take it particularly personally. I don't mean to take it personally. Back to your comment earlier about you know, uh, learning two or three different tools to, to build a RIA. The thing is, is that, is that uh, a lot of people already use Visual Studio. Oh, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions. Some would say millions. millions. Some would say millions use Visual Studio already. And so they're re-leveraging the exact same set of skills that they already know building WPF applications. I think that's great. I mean, that, I mean, that from at least Microsoft's, I mean, here we go into platforms again. But like, it, from their perspective, that's good. And I think... Had they not been taking time to build a leaky abstraction of the web via the desktop interface, then they may have made JavaScript a first-class citizen a long time ago, whereas other IDEs did that years ago, and they've been doing it quite well. And there's people using Aptana, and they've been using Aptana for a long time, plugins to Eclipse uh, for a very long time, and have been very happy, and have had those apps for a very long time. And in that time, we got... Uh, prototype, and that time we got jQuery, and we got some really great advancements in JavaScript. And I don't think there's anything that you're talking about as far as that happy path that people are talking about that hasn't existed in JavaScript. Has it existed in JavaScript on the Microsoft platform? No. Right. But I think that's because of Microsoft's mission statement, or their mission for uh, .NET web development being a uh, leaky abstraction of a data uh, or a desktop centric development experience. We do, we do I, don't, I don't think they we actually do. wrote the mission statement that way. Yeah, yeah. What and we're we, really looking for here is a leaky we, abstraction. And we do have to. We, <laughs> Jesse, you mentioned that it's uh, kind of difficult to do these kind of rich data intensive applica uh, interactive applications uh, with standard HTTP protocols. Uh, do you have a problem with writing AJAX, uh, using AJAX tools and, no. and that kind of stuff? Is that difficult? Not at all. And, and I didn't mean to suggest that that particular protocol is particularly difficult at a particular point. What I meant to suggest was that if you're going to restrict yourself to the specification that was promulgated in the mid-80s... But, I mean, does that, that matter that anymore? Well, no, it doesn't. But if there's a purity of, you know, the web is defined within these constraints, then I think you're overly your constrained. So there's a, does so it there work? Is a, so there's a tension and a trade-off, as always in technology, between with no stability, you have nothing to stand on, and with too much stability, you get rigidity. So what do you do? And the answer to that is you have an evolving set of protocols and standards and hopefully some level of openness. Now for me, speaking purely personally, I have found that the integration of skills that come with the .NET development works for me personally, works for a number of people. Other folks like the kind of eclectic approach that doesn't tie you into a particular vendor, a particular vendor. And that's great. You know, Microsoft has reached some for that with Iron Ruby and with you know some of the uh, openness there. The move to Eclipse is an interesting and exciting possibility and I'll be real interested if we get to the point where you can develop Silverlight apps through Eclipse on the Mac. That'll be an interesting piece. But let's make no mistake, Microsoft is driven 
ultimately by trying to respond to the market, which you can read in two ways. One is it's responsive to what people want, or it's trying to make money for its shareholders. Well, in the, in the ideal world, those are not in conflict with each other. Those are feeding each other and are, and, you know, are working well together. In, in a nefarious kind of conspiratorial way, then those don't sound so happy. And, you know, I tend to mostly go to work thinking uh, I'm, not, I'm neither saving the world nor undermining uh, the, the work of, of the open source community, but rather, you know, doing my bit to help developers build cool apps and trying not to uh, do too much harm along the way. So no, basically. Yeah, no. I, I, that, that's how I say no. Right. Yeah. That's how I we say no when we're from New York originally. So, so I, th I, th yeah, I thought somewhere in there was an indictment of the HTML standard, too. No, not at all. No, 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 no. Well, I, one could, I suppose. No, no, no. But doing, no. doing uh, applications in HTML is hard. Uh, yeah. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Let's take a question. Hi, my name's uh, Bill Hanel. Um, we talked about graphically rich internet applications, spinning the car around, put the dents on it. Um, we also touched a little bit on data intensive rich internet applications. We've got a project right now that we're, we're lo looking to do. We do claims processing, and we have um, we want to throw 100,000 records over to the client so that they can sort and filter and it's audit department and they can do their thing. It's realistic that they need 100,000 records at a time. Is that something that's feasible in a browser now with JavaScript or Silverlight or what are some ideas on that? Why? <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, Why? technology-wise, it is very possible with uh, Silverlight uh, it's very, very, very possible. Uh, with, with Flex, it is. Uh, I'm not positive that it's, you know, uh, responsive if you try to do that in JavaScript. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> that does not sound like a good idea. Well, so, so from a technology perspective, from a technology perspective, from a technology perspective, you can pull it off. I mean, you're uh, talking about, I mean, how big are you of these records? 100 yeah. bytes? 500 bytes? 1,000 bytes? Um, data fields, probably 30 data fields, and 30 columns. 100, 100 bytes? What? No, it's going to be more than that. 100 bytes a record, maybe? So, one, what are you talking about? Integers? Talking about megs and megs and megs or? It's, no, it's text fields. I mean, it's string fields. String it's fields? basically um, policy information, short, you know, so maybe a couple K, maybe 200K, 300K? I wish I could answer it. So one, one quick thing to interject I mean, here. We're talking, we're talking 10, 20 meg. meg. No, I think you're talking more than that. Oh, 100,000. Yeah, saying. it's 100,000. 100, no, no, no. It's a yeah. K Wait, each. It, that's 100 meg. Is this, going, uh, is this an oh, intranet or internet? It's an intranet. Intranet. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. So, yeah, uh, but if it's 100 megs and you multiply it by 1,000 clients, even... Uh, Gigabit Ethernet part's going to go, dude. I would invest in an Ajax status bar. So there, there okay. are some, there are some things. Look, uh, Telerik has some good ones, you know. I Please think wait. I, this, this seems to very fall high under, resolution. This okay. seems to fall under, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Don't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, at that point, I, I would definitely be looking at some other type of technology, like desktop or... And that's not totally true because I actually built a, a desktop, or a, I'm sorry, a benchmark application that so, does measure how long it takes for different technologies. I haven't added Silverlight yet, but plan to. Uh, it's called it's at JamesWard.com/census. It's it's a census benchmark application, and mine only currently only goes up to 20,000 rows, but the next version I'm working on goes up to 100,000. And I have done tests where with 100,000 rows uh, of this data that comes out to after GZIP 
only being a couple meg, uh, it, it works fine in Flex. The sorts work, uh, the sorts and filters work fine client side. Silverlight, I'm sure, would, would have uh, the same uh, output. I just haven't added it to the test suite yet. So um, it is certainly possible. Uh, JavaScript is in the census benchmark as well, uh, and it does not do so well. Um, also, it's let, just let not tuned out, for that sort of let thing. Let me point out that there are some enabling technologies that I don't know what your data is like, and I don't know how often it refreshes. But if you really do need to do this, there are the Silverlight offers some technologies, and I'm sure this can be done in other things. I just happen to know Silverlight that you can a do progressive, you know, send the data progressively if you don't necessarily have to have it all at once. I recognize that you're doing sorting and filtering, so you may need to. Although I tend to like to have databases do what they do for a living, yeah. as opposed to doing it in code. But that's another discussion. The other piece is that if this is data that doesn't change very much, there is isolated storage, although asking your user to give you that much room on their disk may be problematic. But I think we're into the mud here of your design sounds a little funky to us, and until we understand it better, it's hard to respond except to say, yeah, you could do that. Uh, and then there's that big question mark at the end of the inflection. I think that was and, the one that, to, that, to that Carl that said. Really quickly, I'm sorry, is that I always feel that all of these things are just tools for a job anyway. So I'm not going to choose JavaScript for every job. I think I made a point about video. It's not, I mean, it comes to a point. And if I knew I had to send that much data down to a grid, my first check would be, well, we're not doing this in JavaScript. Let's figure out a better way. It probably is going to be some kind of desktop client. Um, well, your first question is, do we really need to do this? Or can I just send, you know, my, you know, send it back to the server and let it do the damn sort? But there definitely are use cases. I work with a lot of FSIs, and there are tons of use cases in FSIs where you do have to pull that much data down to the client. You really should do the sorts of filters on the client, um, and that's why I built the census benchmark. So go check that out and ask me questions, email me. Um, Flex works really well with that much data, and I'm sure Silverlight would too. haven't tested it, though. Yeah, I'm just glad I'm not the auditor that has to look through this stuff every day. Yeah, I love the idea of testing that, making sure all 100,000 records made it down and they're all correct. Awesome. Maybe if you're sending them to offline storage, I can see that. Yeah, there's a, there's a caching play to be made here. We were going to polish off that bottle of bourbon before this, sh this panel. Well, on. we obviously are. But, yeah, uh, we're well on our way. We're having some help. How is that? Yeah, everybody's looking at me for the next question, so I guess I'll come up with it. Uh, we uh, have discussed a whole bunch of technologies. Let's talk about architecture. Let's talk about the, the kinds of applications that lend themselves to the, the AJAX model versus the Silverlight model. And you know, the, the, just to pick two, uh, Silverlight is an up-and-coming Microsoft technology. Of course, everybody's very interested in seeing it work. You know, and I, I like to ask this of anyone who does this kind of thing. Where, what kinds of applications really, really lend themselves to, to Silverlight? And, and also, in, within that, do you like to see uh, Silverlight take up the whole page, or do you like to see little components of Silverlight applets and controls on a page being controlled? Well, I, I think you, first you can broaden that so we can include James here. Poor James Thank you. feels left out of that question. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, Flex and Silverlight would be... Let's talk about them as if they were the same product. Are they, and it just, a, just as, a, as a sidebar, aren't they <laughs> deeply related? Like fundamentally these are similar products trying to solve the same sort of problems? I think they are trying to solve similar products. I think two different audiences, though, I think is the, the major differentiator. So they, it's the same business problem but a different audience. Yeah. Different audience of developers. I would say okay. similar problems. What I mean, the audience? reason I would say that they're not exactly the same problem, I don't want to split hairs and I don't want to be difficult. There's, there's, a, there's a huge overlap in the problems they solve. Okay. And then there's a whole set of problems that are completely orthogonal. So, yes, they're hugely overlapping, and we can go into a whole side thing about where they really are very, very different on a different panel. But I just want to footnote well, let's that. Get back they to are the question when, you know, what kinds but of applications lend themselves to ASP.NET versus a client side rich. Solution. Right. That's right. Yeah, we're uh, running in a VM. Components versus JavaScript. Yeah, I think that's the major difference. Is is it running in a VM uh, or is it running inside the browser with right. the JavaScript interpreter? Right. 
And so, so to answer your question, I think, as I pointed out uh, earlier, I think business applications are one of the key areas where, where rich internet applications and having a VM on the client really does make an impact, uh, not having to test across multiple browsers, uh, that sort of thing. Business applications, I think, is a prime place for, for us to do that development. Now, why is that? I mean, we can do business applications with Ajax and make them look really nice and interactive, and what, what can't we do? I don't, I'm not sure it's a capabilities thing as much of it is a how much is it going to cost me and how quickly can I do it kind of thing. So you think we're reducing the cost of, of development by going to the new, these rich tools? Yes. Because the tools are better or because the technology That's, is better? No, I, I disagree. Think I'm not sure that you can do it even with JavaScript if well, what you want to do is intensively, is, is, is fairly intense and, and the, you using an RIA, using Silverlight or, 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 or Flex, you can avoid going through the cloud. You can avoid those callbacks, even with the, the asynchronicity that Ajax offers. I think you're going to get a performance ability in Silverlight or in, what's the word that we can use as a generic? In, in, in a, in a browser-based, um, <laughs> in a, a client-side application that, that is going to be measurably different from a server-side application, even if that server-side gives you asynchronicity. So this, the picture I have in my, hand, my head here is a multi-page form where I have to flip back and forth between the pages, and I know that in, even in an Ajax incarnation, I'm still making round trips to the server as I flip these pages, so and in a client app, I'm maintaining that state on the client so I don't have that issue. So statefulness is one thing we get with this. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can do that. You can have statefulness on the client. You can choose to have statefulness where you, where you want, and there are trade-offs. But the ability, if you're doing transitions and you're doing data representations and you're doing uh, a, any kind of interactivity, the ability to take the cloud out of the picture can be very powerful in terms of the user's experience of perceived uh, responsiveness that I think even with Ajax, you're not get, Ajax is a giant leap forward from, from waiting for the entire page to refresh, but it's still not a, a client-side application, which, which you are getting with these client-side technologies. Why not? Be, why not? Because it has to go back is even the, asynchronously. Is it the developer tools that are, that are the issue? No, it's inherent or is it to the, the technology. It's still the trip to the server. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if your data's it's on the, the server, but you're going to have trip. It's if the you're making the a trip, trip if you're in... Uh, if you're in Silver light so or it's the statefulness, well, really, so, is what so we're getting. You just at. want to pull everything down and stick it in the client. There, there, there's data client side and there's execution client side, there and you, you can do the execution on the client side. I mean, there, there's some fantastic JavaScript applications that are out there. You know, the uh, Outlook Web Access, mm -hmm. um, uh, the different mapping programs, Live Maps, Google Maps, etc. Uh, I mean, there's some fantastic JavaScript applications that are out there. The pain and torture that was. You know, undergone to get those delivered and actually, you know, to fruition, mm -hmm. far greater than than whipping together something with XAML and, and, and C Sharp or MXML and, and uh, ActionScript. I mean, it, it's it's a it, it's a light years difference in creating that style of an application. Yeah, what is it though? What is it though? You know, give me a specific, Josh. What is it? The stateful? Is it the state problem that's difficult well, so, to do so, in Ajax? It's, it's, it's partially. It's partially just. Why they were on an old version of Flex and didn't have the skill set. Sorry, side conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry? Your side conversation on the microphone. Though. Yeah, the side for conversation is recorded too, guys. So. <laughs> no, yeah. but I'm saying, but he made a really good point on what you were just saying. I mean, you just said that like those mapping applications were something that might have been Herculean to do in JavaScript, but Yahoo decided to, do, to put that to the test and put it in Flash, and then what happened to it? They lost some of their key developers that knew ActionScript and Flex and decided that they had some developers that knew JavaScript, and so they went back to JavaScript. So the issue was not tools. The issue was expertise and Talent. people's ability to use huh. those tools. Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, I get the sense that talent is sort of an overriding issue here. Certainly to Microsoft's favor, they built a big pool of .NET developers, and now they're bringing .NET into the client-side technologies with Silverlight. Yep. And, and that's so their asset. So there's, there's tools, there's ability uh, or, or, or knowledge of the technologies. Sure. Um, there's statefulness. There's uh, where is the execution? Is the execution on the server? Is the execution on the client? And, and sometimes the answer is you need to make that decision runtime. 
and actually look at the, the machine that you're on and say, oh look, it took me three seconds to just finish that calculation, it's gonna be faster to go back to the server to get this, this calculation yeah. done. Um, but I mean, there's a, there's a whole slew of different questions that you need to answer before deciding that rich internet applications are the way to go. In fact, you know, the, the number one worst practice that you can have with building rich internet applications is deciding to do one right off the bat without actually answering any questions. Yeah. Yeah. We have another question from the audience. Yeah, it's Brandon Joyce again. I'm a microphone hog. Sorry. Um, kind of to what you guys are talking about, the architecture of using these different tools, um, I think I'm with Leon on this about um, using different tools for what they're great for. And I, I think I've seen, uh, in my experience, that it's good to componentize these things. And I think that the 2008 Olympics, where they did the Silverlight, was a pretty good example of this, where different parts of the site were Silverlight, different parts were Flash, and this was all on the same page. So and different got, parts were HTML and JavaScript. And you've got a mixture yeah. of all three of these things on the same page. If it was kind had, of like a code mash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if they had done the whole page in Silverlight, you'd be kind of stuck in that technology where it might have, obviously they did the Flash for a reason. It was probably much easier to do other things or they already had some of these other things. So I guess componentizing these things and being able to plug them in to different parts of your application seems like a good architecture. Well, they thought so because then they dropped Silverlight right after the Olympics. <laughs> uh, no, you've got two different stories conflated. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the folks who did... I stand who, corrected. The, the, the Silverlight story at the Olympics was, I, I, at the risk of sounding like, a, uh, like I actually am a promoter of this thing, which I want to step out of that role, but actually Silverlight at the Olympics went quite well. It, you're thinking of the Major League Baseball story, which, you know, there's a lot of back and forth about who's adopting Silverlight, who's not, and who's using it. The, the adoption rate for both of these products has been very, um, very rapid. All right, withdrawn. And, 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 but the key, thing, withdrawn. the key thing, I think the key question that you're asking is, you know, when you're sitting down to do a, a product or project, which of these technologies are you going to choose? And I think there's a really different decision that you're making when you're choosing ASP.NET versus Silverlight than if you're choosing Silverlight versus Flex, because if you're choosing the ASP.NET versus Silverlight, you probably have the same pool of expertise and people who are used to making the same kind of architectural decisions and you're choosing a server-side versus a client-side technology, something you may be more comfortable with versus something relatively new. If you're choosing Flex versus Silverlight, I wrote a column that said, don't believe anything I say in this column. And the reason that I wrote that was, there's no objective place to stand and evaluate these two technologies. There's no rock you can stand on and say, Silverlight's better in this way or Flex is better in that way today. Because we don't have that experience. I mean, I could tell you all the things that are better and I can push all the things about how great Silverlight is, but the reality is, for most people today, you're going to start with, what do your developers know? What are they comfortable with? Where's their experience level? You know, what, what's the easy transition? And yes, I mean, you want to keep an eye on where those limitations are and what experience have folks you know had. But I don't think, I will probably get beaten senseless by the marketing people. I don't think anybody is walking around saying, you know, if you use Flex, you're dead. Your, your project will never work. Whereas if you use Silverlight, boy, it's going to be a piece of cake. You'll be done in an hour and a half. I just don't think we're in that position on either, on either company to say that. I but think we are comfortable saying, yeah, if you're in JavaScript, you're in hell. <laughs> yeah, I'm comfortable saying that. Okay. Not dead. I'm just checking. Help. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not comfortable saying that. I'm comfortable no. saying that when I write in JavaScript, I feel like I've, I'm sitting in the dentist chair as opposed to when I'm writing in managed code. Yeah, but are you pulling teeth with a hammer? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I wrote, I, I was heavily invested in C++. I would love for C++ to survive because I get better You are pulling teeth with a hammer. But, but, you know, I just won't write in unmanaged code if I can avoid it. Although I am learning Iron Ruby because he's making me. So there's some very good tools that use JavaScript that make development in, you know, Ajax easy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hey, yeah, I got nothing bad to say about jQuery. I got yeah, nothing jQuery bad to say rocks. about jQuery. Plus yeah. one. Yeah. Plus one, yeah. No, I, I, JavaScript has got, 
It's got a maturity line that has grown years over years and years and years and years. Yeah, but I think yeah, it's only a lot of pain. It's only recently that we've really seen these sort of key things that have made JavaScript so much more yes, consumable for the is, average developer. It is certainly four years old. Okay. I mean, uh, Prototype was around in what, 2005? So we had that option. There were a few options before that. jQuery is relatively new. Yeah. But there are, this, is a sol- this is a problem that we've been trying to solve in that community for a very long time. I think the thing we're struggling with JavaScript more than anything is it's still fundamentally sitting over the DOM. And yeah. the, back to crucifying HTML standards, yes. the DOM has been stuck in the muck yep. for years and years and years. Agreed. Preacher brother. Yeah. <laughs> right <on>. Testify. <laughs> Give you a hallelujah on that one. All right. I get an amen. Guys, I think we're down to our last 10 minutes or so. So if you get any last questions, please run up to the microphone. Otherwise, I'm going to push into closing statements. There's, about there's a, one thing you haven't, you haven't mentioned at all, which is the whole issue of XML and, and moving towards XML-like standards. And, and, and maybe that's to save for another time. But it is worth talking about the fact that the industry has made a decision for good reason to move towards XML as an underlying standard that JavaScript moves you arguably away. Yeah, we don't like XML anymore. We like JSON. Yeah, XML is fat and building, ugly. Building an AJAX it's a application, building an ugly, ugly person that we don't Dude, like to play with. You bring this up with eight minutes left. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you, you know, we're trying to make a compelling show here, man. Brackets that I want to break you up. So, so, but, but first of all, Microsoft did not create. Okay, but you embraced it and place. ran with it. You called XAML, and you're like, hey, look, we'll do everything in XML-like language. It'll be fun. <laughs> wow. I'm going to switch but over to code mode. Oh, my so, God, wait, what wait, is wait, that? Wait, can so, I just but, understand? But, but, can I just understand? Microsoft, 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 wait, the problem now is that Microsoft actually followed open standards. Do I have it right? That's yeah, so, 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 I just want to be clear. So right problem. This is great. We've turned into Jerry Springer here. following open standards, so we get beat up for that. We're not following open standards. We're not following Open standards. Hey, 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 one at a time, one at a time. That was the problem. No, my, my. Boy, we get defensive easy. What are you talking about? <laughs> you guys are all attacking so, me. So, but, but here's, here's, here's the thing. People on JavaScript. We've completely lost control of this show. Right? Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. So, XML, though, uh, serves some, some fantastic purposes. And that is, you know, one of them is that I don't have to know ahead of time the exact format and layout. Sure that I'm going to be receiving. Absolutely. And I can, at runtime, make some decisions and do some intelligent yeah. things with Absolutely. that data, and I can ignore parts, I can accept parts, and I mean, there, there's lots of goodness in that. Sure. And JSON doesn't give me any of that. JSON is, Why? here's your text. Yeah, but it's easy to use. It's, it's object notation. What is XML? The only reason it's notation. why it's all notation. I don't know what the problem is. The only reason why JSON is better to JavaScript developers is because you can easily eval it, and you can't eval an XML string and turn it into objects. Bingo. Okay. So I bet you I can sit down. We'll just write a little method to do that, and we'll be done. In what languages? Corey, you with me? We're going to do In this. In what afterwards. languages? So apparently exactly. both guys are on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both JavaScript guys are on board. The yes. libraries exist. Did we have a There's question over on the other mic here? People don't use them. Please, Did please, he give please. up all hope? Jason. <laughs> Make sure that mic switched on. But Jason is also, I mean, here we are again. So, so I, I really like JSON in most cases, especially where I have control over client answer. Sure. Most of the time, I don't. You guys most are going to have to continue this at the bar. We have a question. Yes, sir. And Matt Casto? Um, earlier, Carl mentioned testing when we were talking about all the data in the client side. So I just wanted to hear what the story is for testing in these I, frameworks. I'd like to point out I mentioned testing. Okay, oh, that was Richard. And you can call <laughs> me Carl if you want because you would be the first. It's a one. common mistake. That, yeah, it happens a lot. We're interchangeable. But okay. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. All right, Richard. <laughs> so I forgot the question now. Testing. Testing. Testing Testing's a wonderful thing. What was the question you should for do, it? You should JavaScript is arguably the most test-resistant programming environment I've ever met. Why? It's amazing. I don't understand why. I, except, okay, I admit, ASP.NET, more test-resistant. <laughs> You're damn right it is. And, JavaScript, and now, has, MVC. JavaScript has open classes. JavaScript can be easily overloaded. JavaScript is, is perfect for, for unit testing. You can unit it's, test it's the so, It's software. 
You have you can, unit testing tools for JavaScript. You have any ability to do whatever you want with JavaScript. It yes. is a wonderful language, and you can do whatever you want, and there are tools to support that. Right. It's but this crap that you have to like buy a $1,000 stupid license for Visual Studio just to be able to test something is bullshit. I'm just saying it. It's, it's, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's software. And as software, you can do anything you want. Now the question is, the question is, how much, how much does it matter to you? How much is it your business? How much is it your livelihood? What and what's it worth to you? And if if you're in the business of of you know, if you're if you're using and Microsoft has free tools, so let's not get into the you know this company versus my dog's bigger awesome. than your dog argument. Awesome. But but the bottom line is that for for serious you know, industrial strength testing, you're going on any platform, on any language, you're going to decide to spend money. If it's not on the tools, it's certainly going to be on the talent to do the testing, because the tools are less important than the talent that are interpreting the test. That's where the expense is. So the bottom line here is which software is going to lend itself to, you know, building, testing, and maintaining in the long run, and which software fits in with your overall development strategy and the knowledge base that you have and the suite of tools that you're used to and that you want to build upon. And sometimes that's, that's JavaScript, sometimes that's not. Sure, and I've said that at least twice tonight. But I don't not think... Not on the panel, but twice before the panel. Well, before the panel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slagging you later, forget it. Now, the, the, uh, uh, yes, I agree, sure. That's, 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 that's absolutely, you know, it's all tools and, and talent and and all of that, but I don't think you, I don't think saying, and maybe we'll bring it back to the topic here, uh, that, that just writing off JavaScript as not RIA is, is an excuse for not using it or at least bringing it to the table. I, I didn't when say it was RIA, I said it wasn't testable. That's two different things. No, 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 I'm bringing it back to the original topic, but, okay. uh, but I will say it is testable. I test it all the time, and, and I don't see why you can't do it. There are several JavaScript unit testing frameworks out there. Okay. Just saying. But why would you say that JavaScript is an RIA? I thought you liked JavaScript. No, that's what I was saying. No, he was, that he was you, addressing that, that, that you have he to was, enter it. And, like if you, if you, <laughs> so, if so you, so I'm, I'm trying to remember back in the conversation as to where anybody actually said JavaScript is not RIA. That's true. Yeah, nobody. In said fact, that. I, no I, actually, I actually brought up uh, Alec Web Access and the the various mapping programs eventually. as examples of RIA. Yes, eventually you did. Yeah, yeah and I think I defended Ajax pretty well. Slapped your hand. Okay. We're gonna hug so, you out later. So we all agree that nothing but love in JavaScript. We're in violent writing. JavaScript won. Yeah. Okay. All right. We have another question before uh, this completely gets out of hand. Please Actually, save not us. Not so much a question. <laughs> I just had one comment. I mean, I I know it's a lot of fun to sit around and bash each other's technologies, but there's nothing that says I'll be doing it at the bar you later. have to buy a thousand dollar IDE to do anything with .NET. You've got True. Sharp Develop. You've got NUnit. Mono. Yep. So then to turn around and say, you know, JavaScript is testable because you can overload everything and essentially write your own tests is what you're talking about. But over here, you'd have to buy all this stuff. But you don't because there's NUnit and XUnit and MBUnit. And there's any number of unit testing frameworks. And you sure. don't need an IDE. You can write this stuff in Notepad just like you can JavaScript. Sure. So, yes, there's a big gorilla over here with a really nice expensive tool. But... You don't have to use it. We all just like to. We also give away free versions of the tool, right? They have There's Express editions express that, that don't work together very well. And, and you can use the Express know, version. Deny your ability to use the And you can't use Notepad that. unless okay, you sure. bought your Windows license in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But you can write it on your Mac and then copy it, sneaker net it over. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Which I've been known to all do. All right. Have you guys gotten this whole JSON uh, JavaScript the uh, XML thing out of your system yet, or is there? You didn't say rest. You didn't say rest even once. I, th th this Do is going to be a to? battle that goes on for generations. But I, so. I, I, I think that we spend, as an industry, I really do think we spend, as an industry, way too much time on my dog's bigger than your dog, and too little time on what problem are all of these things trying to solve, and how does a developer take whatever knowledge base they have and build upon it? Because we are so early in the development of RIA that, frankly, I think it's silly to, to entrench yourself in a given technology on, quote, unquote, its relative merits. I think you build on what you know 
You build on your natural progression while this thing sorts itself out and, and develops and evolves. And in a few years, it will become very clear where the limitations are on the various products and people will migrate. But the knowledge that you invest, if you invest in learning Silverlight or Ajax or, or Flex and it turns out that that product runs into some walls that the other one doesn't, that's not going to have been wasted time. Sitting around arguing about which one is better than the other may be wasted time, forgive me. Well, that sounds like the best closing words I've ever heard. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank our guest, Leon Gersing, James Ward, Josh Holmes, and Jesse Liberty. We'll see you next time on Donnie Rock. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a van by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.